guys, welcome to Shelby Christian. My name is Evan, and this is what's happening on the hill. If you're new to Shelby Christian, or if you're a first-time guest, we have our I'm New wall located right outside the worship center doors. We would love for you to stop by and introduce yourself, because we want the opportunity to meet you and help get you connected here. Easter's only three weeks away. We have our annual Easter egg hunt scheduled for Saturday, April 8th at 11 a.m., but you can keep up with all of our Easter events at our website, Easter at SCC.org. Also, from our children's ministry, Resurrection Egg Kits are now available to pick up. These are similar to the Christmas Advent boxes. They teach the Easter story, but it's a meaningful family activity that focuses on the true meaning of Easter, and it gives you time to spend together in Scripture. They're going to be available in the elementary check-in, and we ask that each family only pick up one kit. Our next Pathway session where you can learn how to get involved at Shelby Christian or your next step here on the Hill is Tuesday, March 21st from 6 to 8. Child care and a meal are provided. We also have our marriage workshop next weekend, March 24th and 25th. You can check out our website, shelbychristian.org, and click on the Marriage tab for more information. We've been talking about a new traffic pattern change for the campus, so please help us in educating yourself to prepare for the growth here that we're expecting on the Hill. We'd like to have this ready by Easter week, and the change starts March 26th. Hey ladies, our women's ministry wants to invite you to come out on March Mondays from 6.30 to 8 in the Common Grounds for a time of devotion and fellowship. Please help me in celebrating the baptisms that we had last week. Allison was baptized at our Thursday night service. Allison and Emily are co-workers, and now they're sisters in Christ. Congratulations, Allison. So glad you're here. So glad you braved a little bit of cold weather to get in here. We got a new song for you this morning. It's talking about bringing the Holy Spirit. We're just inviting the Holy Spirit to come in this place, fill our hearts. Would you stand with us today as we worship the Lord?
better than this hell loses one today and we gain a brother in christ amen amen real quick y'all this is my buddy north i met him no surprise i met him at the gym shocker right so through conversations at the gym turned into him coming to my muay thai class so i would invite him over to beat him up bible study bible study invite him over for bible study He's a part of my men's group, Iron Sharpens Iron. So this is collectively the spirit of God. The seed has been planted and has grown because he is ready to give his life to Christ. So I thank you all for the support and everything that's been going on. North, there's a confession I need to hear from you, my man. We talked about this over the phone. We talked about it via text. Now I want you to confess this before heaven and before your family here in church. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The son of the living God. The son of the living God. And I accept him. And I accept him. As my personal Lord and Savior. As my personal Lord and Savior. North, because of that confession, before God, before heaven, and before this church, and I'll baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, for the remission of your sins, and the gift of the eternal life, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You might want to cover your nose, bro. You got to get it. talking about faith and I was reminded a story about a missionary named Robert Moffat who was a missionary in South Africa he had worked there for years and had no converts and friends of his wrote him and asked him if there was anything he needed in his ministry and he said yes I need a communion kit I thought that was kind of strange since he didn't have any converts but by the time the communion kit arrived He had 12 converts. You see, he had faith that God was going to do something. And faith is what we believe in. Is believing in what we cannot see sometimes. But we have faith in Jesus Christ. And this morning as we celebrate communion, there are communion stands all over the room. I want you to be reminded of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That he gave his body up for you. And that he shed his blood for you. That all of us like this morning, can have him in our heart and be our Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Father God, we just praise you this morning, Lord. Lord, we just ask again that your Holy Spirit would fall, just like that song we sang. Father God, that you would just manifest yourself in this place today. Father, that you would just move on every heart. And Father, as we take time now to celebrate communion, Father, I pray that we would be reminded of your son's body, which he gave up willingly, and that his blood he shed so that we all can have remission of sins. Lord, we'll never understand how great your love is. But we thank you for that love. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter. Is the 
presence, Lord, here, Lord. We invite you to come fill our hearts, Lord. Open it up for what you have for us today, Lord. May the word be planted in our hearts today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Kings chapter 18 or get your phone out and go to your phone Bible app. We're going to be going, reading through that this morning. In honor of March Madness, I thought I'd throw a couple of basketball quips at you. Um, Duke's students used to have a problem spelling their coach's name, Shusevsky. Unfortunately, the University of North Carolina students now have a problem spelling their new head, head coach's name, Davis. What happens when you cross a Duke Blue Devil and an Arkansas Razorback? We just saw that yesterday. Nothing. There are some things even a pig won't do. (laughs) And what do basketball players do when they can no longer see? They become referees. Now this morning we're going to be going through... um, 1 Kings chapter 8, and I want to kind of set the stage for you. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it's in the 9th century BC in the northern kingdom of Israel, where we pick up in 1 Kings 16, it says, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, even more than any of the kings before him. And as if there were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel the daughter of King Ethbaal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down in worship of Baal. First Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole, and he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any other kings of Israel before him. Now Baal was considered the God of the heavens, rain, thunder, lightning, and fertility. He was obviously satanic in origin, and Baal demanded the sacrifice of children to fire and the persecution of all of God's prophets. Baal drew God's people away. Asherah poles were a representation of Asherah, a Canaanite fertility goddess and consort of the gods. Now, Ahab was very evil, Scripture says, and he married an even eviler woman in Jezebel. Now, Jezebel's goal wasn't just to promote idol worship, but was to do away with the worship of God completely. Now, Elijah, of course, was an Old Testament prophet. He was full of the Holy Spirit of God. And Elijah had been, God had told Elijah that he was going to bring a drought upon the earth. So a three-year drought began. And because Elijah had to deliver the news to Ahab, he became enemy number one. Like, you know, the FBI's top 10 most wanted. He became the most wanted man in Israel. So he had to go and hide out and he went into the east and he was by a river and ravens came and fed him. Then he went to a small town where he met a widow and her son. And God miraculously every day provided flour and oil for this family during the three years of drought. Then the widow's son dies and Elijah prays and God raises him from the dead. Now as the drought went on, Jezebel grew even more evil and more angry that she went on a killing spree of God's prophets. So you imagine this drought. Imagine what it would be like here if there was no rain for three years. 
All the crops would die. The animals would start dying. We'd have a huge problem. And they did there in Israel at that time. And here you had the king of Israel, Ahab, living high on the hog, you might say. And he refused to help his own people. But he continued to feed the prophets of Baal. So after three years, we pick up on our story. And I'm going to, this is a long passage, but I really feel like I want to read it straight from Scripture. So let's start in verse 17 of chapter 18 of Kings. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commands of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to the people and said, How long will you go on limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, am the only prophet left of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be presented, given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood. But put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you are to call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself one bull, prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And so they took the bull that was given to them and they prepared it and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the ablation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar as great as it would contain 14 quarts of seed. He put the wood in order and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. 
And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to Mount top of Mount Carmel. He bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now and look at the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. He said, Go again. He did this seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, while the heavens grew black and the clouds and the wind, there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah as he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So think of this. Among all God's people, the prophets who spoke the word of the Lord were being hunted and killed. While the purveyors of Balaam were being sponsored by the royal family. So one day God sent Elijah to Ahab and said, Send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So picture that. You have 850 prophets and a large crowd of people. Okay? It would be, it'd be like, like WWE wrestling. You know, all those people that go and watch that and they scream and they holler. Imagine a giant crowd here to see some kind of great battle between 450 to 1. Elijah calls them to Carmel. Carmel meant vineyard or orchard or garden and reflect the fertile beauty of Mount Carmel's picturesque slopes. That's looking towards Mount Carmel. The next image is looking down off of it. See how lush and green it is? And it says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. You see, this speaks very powerful, I think, to us today. If you'd have taken a survey of the people of Israel in this day and time, they would have said, yeah, we believe in the Lord, but their actions didn't prove it. You could probably say that about the United States too, right? But the problem was they were following Baal as well as trying to follow the Lord. There's a significance in that word limped. How long will you go on limping between two opinions? Now, you know I'm a, I'm a great fan of history. And James Monroe, Monroe, you may not remember, was the fifth president of the United States. And it was something that came out of his uh, presidency, something called the Monroe Doctrine. Basically, he said that the United States was not going to get involved in European wars. But when I say Monroe, most people think of Marilyn Monroe. And, you know, she lived a very tragic life and death. But she was once asked if she believed in God. And she said, I believe in everything, a little bit. Philip Ryken has described that as the new Monroe Doctrine. Believing in everything a little bit. He says, the basic principle of American culture, people do not want to be intolerant, so they believe a little bit in everything. A majority of Americans believe in God, the Bible, Jesus, the power of positive thinking, the basic goodness of humanity, luck, alien life forms, and even checking their horoscopes every day. The only way to believe all these things at the same time is to to adhere to the Monroe Doctrine. Believe everything a little bit. See, I think that's what Elijah 
was battling against in his day and time. He was there to refute this. For you cannot worship God at the same time that you craft your own truth, your own morality, or your own life purposes. As long as you try and do both, you will be limping along. You have to make a decision. In April of 1988, there was a photographer, um, and he used to jump out of airplanes with a group of skydivers. You've probably seen his films, you know, where the, they see all these guys are turning over and over, and they go and they make these intricate little formations and everything. Well, well, he loved his job, and he absolutely adored jumping out of these planes. And But unfortunately, in 1988, he jumped out of this plane. He's taking all these pictures, and suddenly the picture goes crazy, and you to see the camera fall. See, he went to grab his ripcord when he realized he didn't put his parachute on. You see, when he was jumping, it was probably very exciting and fun. But tragically, he acted with thoughtlessness and deadly foolishness. Nothing could save him. For his faith was in a parachute he never put on. Faith in anything but God is just as tragic. Only with faith in Jesus Christ do we dare to step into the excitements of life. First Kings said, if the Lord is God, follow him. Now you notice Elijah didn't say, if your parents follow him, then you should follow him. He didn't say, if your friends follow him, then you should follow him. He didn't say, follow him, because it's the moral thing to do. I've heard people tell me that even if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the Christian life would still be the way to live. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said, if Christ is not raised, we are the most miserable people in the world. If Christ was not raised, the church would have nothing to offer. Our message is simple though. Christ is risen. Life, purpose, forgiveness, and joy are only found in him. If the Lord is God follow him. Maybe you've been taught about God, you have some kind of faith, but maybe it's not that clear cut for you. And if so, you are limping. In some measure, you're attempting to embrace Christ and embrace the things of the world at the same time. As long as you are limping, you will never make progress in your faith. If the Lord is God, follow him. Christian faith can never remain just a conviction of the mind. The gospel will not let you limp along with Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. That's impossible. For the Lord is God. Follow him. It says they took the bull that was given, they prepared it, and they called upon Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. Now, it must have been very impressive to have 850 men jumping around, you know, banging tr- trump- their cymbals and hitting drums and just having a good old time dancing and singing to Baal. Can you imagine it? Imagine all the craziness and them all adorned and all these different things. To me, it's very striking the fact that they took up the challenge to begin with. I mean, they must have had some kind of faith that Baal would answer with fire. It is a wonder that they did this at all. And it would have been natural for the crowds to have said, can all of these guys be wrong? Isn't that what the people in culture tell us? How could we all be wrong? 
And it says they cried aloud. They cut themselves after the custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. What started out as so optimistic and so bright and so wonderful has become very, very dark. There's a more sinister element beginning to show. And they cut themselves. And I would imagine at that point it became very painful to watch. But there's, here's the tragedy. When they call on Baal, there was no one there. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. You see, that's what happens with every type of spirituality that replaces God at the center of the universe. It leaves you with emptiness. So here's a question for every one of you who is not a Christian yet. Maybe you live for sports. Maybe you live for family. Maybe you live for your career. Maybe you live for the good you can do in this world. But what you live for, can it answer prayers? Philip Ryken says, some people worship success, selling their souls to climb the corporate ladder. But there's one thing a career cannot do. It cannot answer prayer. Some people worship pleasure, pampering themselves with rich food, exciting sporting events, and the latest music. They live with as much luxury as they can afford, as much sensuality as they can get away with. But there is one thing that food and concerts and travel and pornography cannot do. They cannot answer prayer. Some people worship personal beauty, giving priority to their outward appearances as churches empty, health clubs flourish. But there is one thing that cosmetics and fitness cannot accomplish. They cannot answer prayer. So as you think about this morning, what is the center of your world? What can you live for to answer your prayers? You don't want to find yourself crying out to a black hole of emptiness. It says he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Now imagine this one man, this one man stepping forward. He takes 12 stones. Now, when I first read this, I thought of like creek stones that we can find around anywhere around here. But no, these had to be huge stones. That he went and he rebuilt the altar of the Lord, taking 12 of them, which represented represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he goes and he has water poured all over the altar. Three different times until the entire trench around the altar is filled with water. But Elijah seems alone. And perhaps that's how he felt. For he said, I, even I alone, am left of a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are two, 450 men. 450 verses 1. Elijah was one man with God. And one man with God can overcome the world. If God be for us, who can be against us? And so Elijah prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. So after all their frenzied prayers of Baal, Elijah's prayer is short and simple. They prayed for hours. Elijah's prayer took less than a minute. A.W. Tozer said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. Imagine the intensity of this fire that fell upon the wood, devoured everything around it. It reminds me of Calvary. Where the justice of God was poured out on another hill. You see, the fire did not kill the people. It only took the sacrifice. 
And Jesus was on the cross. And those crucifying him, those mocking him, all those that were against him did not die. He did. He put, gave himself as a sacrifice so we could be saved. And it says, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now think about someone you know that's unbelieving. Would you like to see them come to Christ? Or would you rather call fire down from heaven and destroy them? I'm a big fan of the chosen. If you've seen that or not, if you haven't seen it, you can see it. My life group's actually going through it. We're watching a different episode every week and we're doing a little Bible study about it. And a week ago, we saw a time where Jesus and his disciples are going through Samaria and these Samarians picked up these rocks and started throwing at them. And the disciples are saying, Jesus, call fire down from heaven. Call fire down from heaven. Jesus kind of shook his head at them. You see, nothing is more powerful than a miraculous answer to prayer. Now, there was this man one time who was on a desert island, and he got marooned there, and the only thing he had was a Bible. And so for weeks, he prayed out to the Lord. He said, Lord, please come and save me. A couple of days later, a boat came to the shore. When people had seen his fire and they came to inquire and they said, come on, on, let's in a boat. We'll take you back and take you back to our boat and you can go back to the mainland. Man says, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. A few weeks later, another boat came. Same response. He says, no, I'm waiting for the Lord to save me. A couple more months passed and this man became despondent and he finally cried out to the Lord and said, Lord God, why haven't you answered my prayer? And God said, I sent you two boats already. What more do you want? The people, it said, fell on their faces. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But the very next chapter we hear Elijah saying, I, even I, am left. You see, what happened on Mount Carmel didn't lead to any lasting change in the people. They were convinced, but not converted. You see, I don't believe that people are saved by miraculous signs, but an amazing prayer to God may convince a person that God exists but it won't incline their hearts to come after him. That's why Paul says, some people are looking for miraculous signs, but we preach Christ crucified. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified can change a human heart. I want you to take a moment. I want you to look around the room and find things that are red. Go ahead. Do you notice how your eyes now are drawn to red things? The same thing happens if you notice you buy a new car, you suddenly see that car everywhere. Isn't that right? We call that because it's what we're looking for. At times in our lives, God seems strangely absent. But the problem is not that God has disappeared. We simply lack a God mindset or God eyesight. You see, when you get your heart in tune with God, it's like seeing your car everywhere. You will begin to see the work of the Lord. You will begin to see him moving. But if you don't have that eyesight of God, then you're just limping around. What brings people back to God? You see, I don't believe that the passage of time will do it. Judgment poured upon a nation, I don't think, could do it. Miraculous signs and wonders don't do it. It's as Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Now let me end today with the gospel. 
Jesus Christ gave his life for you. And on the third day, he rose again in triumphant power. He gave his life for sinners. And he reaches out to you today ready to forgive. You see, when you accept Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit comes into you. And the Holy Spirit can give you a new mind implant new desires in your heart and give you a whole new life. You can be more than a person who believes in God. You can have the life of God in you. And that life is offered to you by Jesus Christ today. The gospel this morning makes you come to a decision. You cannot go on limping through your life. You either need to say, the Lord, he is God. Or you say, my God is the things of this world. You see, this morning, you have a choice to make. You can either choose God or you can just ignore him. But by not having Christ in your life, you're saying, I don't want him. I don't need him. Fire from heaven's not going to come and consume us this morning. But the Holy Spirit is here. And if you're limping along in your life, this is the time to come to Jesus Christ. I would invite you as when we stand and sing here this morning that if God is calling you, I'll be down front. I know Jason's back in the decision room. There'll be other people over there. Underneath the cross, we have benches there if you just want to go and pray and ask the Lord to help you not to be limping along. Whatever it is God is speaking to you this morning, listen to what he has to say. Let's stand together.
awesome day today. We're so glad you're here. If it's your first time, please stop out at the I Am New Wall. We've got a gift for you out there and love to get to know you and for you to be a part of what's going on. If you want one of these t-shirts everybody's wearing, uh, you can stop back there in the corner. Let me give you like a 30-second traffic tutorial, okay? It's really, really easy. Starting next Sunday, if you're coming from Shelbyville, don't take the first driveway. There'll be a big sign that says exit only, but don't take that drive, all right? Either the next two, uh, you can come in, either come the far one, come all the way around back. If you need to drop someone off, come all the way around back, circle around there by door number one, let them out and go park. It's cool. Uh, if you've got uh, early childhood, primary, uh, preschool age or elementary kids, Park in the front parking lot. That's the best way. You can park in the front parking lot, drop your kids off as you're way up here, and then you can pick them up on your way back, and it makes perfect sense. Uh, Everybody else, come on to the back, and it'll be really easy. And then when we leave, we're all going out the one drive. It will be split at the bottom. So those of you needing to go east toward Wadi, there'll be a lane for you. Those of you needing to go uh, west toward Shelville, there'll be a lane for you. We think we've got this down to an arc. All right, And I promise after a week or two, it'll be great. But it'll help the, just all kinds of confusion. And get ready for Easter, uh, because that's coming. Get you some bumper stickers, put them on your car. Next week, we'll have the little invite cards. Service times are Thursday night at 7 o'clock, Friday night at 7 o'clock, Good Friday service. Then Sunday morning, regular times, 9, 30, and 11. But we're adding an 8 o'clock service, and we're really inviting any of you guys that are empty nesters that don't need children's programming to try to do 8 o'clock on that Sunday, on Easter morning, uh, because there is no child uh, children's programming at 8 o'clock, just at 9, 30, and 11, all right? We're getting ready pack this place out let's get out of here and go see what god's gonna do love god love people let's go change the world